friends, uh, welcome back to Love Essie, the podcast, and this is episode 10. That's right, everyone. We are on episode 10. Uh, I can't believe that we are here, but I'm also very excited that we are here. Um, this episode this week is going to be different from previous episodes, and you're like, it's going to be different. How's it going to be different? For example, I won't be, uh, talking about the next book in the Nalini Singh series. Uh, I'm going to give you guys another week to sort of marinate in the awesomeness that she is. You're like, marinate? Let's just go with the flow. I liked how it sounded. And you should like it too, okay? Uh, so yeah, I'm next week uh, we're gonna be doing Blaze of Memory and I'm probably gonna cry. But uh, for this week, I want to, uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to pretend that I was in the room when Andrea Martucci and Katrina Jackson were talking. Um, so I listened to the mini-sode, uh, where that came out on the 11th of February, uh, where they talked about, um, communication. The title of the episode is Communication is Key, Polyamory and Financial Conversation. And I thought it was a really interesting, like, a little mini-sode. I immediately listening to it sparked questions and, like, sort of connections to what I'd been reading, what i you know, sort of been thinking. And so I, I wanted to at the beginning of this episode, pretend that, like, I was in the room, like, I was a, I was a mutant fly on the wall, and I could also whisper my answers. Not quite, you know, really, because of what that would be. I mean, flies are gross, but I could fly. Anyway, before we get sidetracked with such craziness, um, so in the episode, uh, they, Katrina and Andrea sort of talk about um, two things that really stuck out to me. Um, one of them was the this idea of like not seeing enough of real life sort of conversations about money in our the romance that we read. Um, Oftentimes, it feels like, you know, someone's got a, you know, usually one of the partners has money, the other partner does not. Very often, that partner who has money might be male. Um, But there aren't sort of the in-depth conversations about financials that we know that real-life couples have to have, because if they don't, they it can very easily, you know, uh, end a relationship. Um, I have definitely have friends who've gotten married, um... And my female friends who've gotten married have, you know, had to have sometimes the way they've talked about finances. And I and I feel I feel similarly. It's like as women, we sometimes sort of feel like, oh, my God, we haven't we don't have as much um, as our as our partner. We've got more debt, um, I think. When we have those thoughts, we completely forget about the fact that we get paid less than men for everything we do. Like, it doesn't matter if we have the exact same roles. We are always going to be paid less. So in your head, you are you sort of start to go down that spiral of like, oh. Um, and I think it was Andrea, or it might have been Kat, who mentioned that, like, not 
that being in debt, at least in, in, you know, in the United States is seen as like a moral failing that when you have debt, you are somehow, um, a bad person, um, as opposed to thinking of it in the sense of like, okay, we live in a system where like, if you don't have credit, then you can't do anything. But to get credit, you have to go into debt. And people definitely prey on that concept to then force you into the kind of debt you then can't get out of. So one of the reasons it stuck out to me is, so I literally, I think the night before finished Tempted at Twilight by Jamie Pope. Um, You know, it was one of those really quick, easy reads. And one thing that really stuck out to me about this romance um, that I just finished reading was that for the two main characters, um, he is a trauma surgeon. Um, So obviously, if you're a trauma surgeon, you went to medical school, um, but you're a doctor. So the idea is like doctors have money. And it is made clear in the story that he has a a sibling um, who is like, a world renowned sort of baseball player who, you know, didn't go to college because he was busy making all of his money in, you know, the major leagues. And so he, he, the trauma surgeon doesn't actually have any sort of medical school debt, which if he didn't have this rich brother, that could be sort of like, oh, I'm a trauma surgeon, but I've got like, you know, a pile of debt sort of hanging over my head. And it is made clear in the, the, the book that like, no, he doesn't have any debt. And on top of that, he's invested well, because his brother has been like, this is the people I used to invest with. So he's not poor. Uh, the other main character, she has two PhDs, which I was like, yeah, what? Yeah. Oh my God. I love her already. And she is the heiress, uh, to, uh, essentially attack fortune. Um, the way her father is described, he sounds kind of like a, you know, could be like a built, like, I think her father had designed the, 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 the fastest smartphone that like everyone is using. So I guess if she was, you know, if we're talking about today, she's the daughter of a Bill Gates or a, not even a Steve Jobs kind of thing. So she is heiress to an like, you know, absurd amount of money. Um, and then you've got this trauma surgeon who like obviously is not poor, but in comparison to her, obviously makes more less money. And so there does come a moment in the book where he feels uncomfortable in the house that she lives in because the house was gifted to her by her father. Um, and he doesn't feel like he has really any sort of any he feels like well I'm not really providing anything for her because here I am living in this house that I can't put anything towards cuz you know it's paid off and she's got the bills in her name and it would you know it would technically be more annoying and more work to change that so they don't and then there is a scene with her mother where her mother is kind of like <clears throat> and you're living in her house kind of thing like trying to throw shade oh because the her mother is also his boss it's a little weird there um not that they didn't know this before they got to involved uh that they find this out after kind of thing and i did think um i really liked that the author made the decision to sort of go there and have that conversation um because i did i mean it could have been easily avoided you could have added had something else be the conflict. The conflict could have really focused on, oh, you're with my daughter because you think it'll get you somewhere work-wise. 
And that is part of the conversation. But the mother's also like, you're basically leeching off of my child. And he's like, already feels uncomfortable. And so obviously brings up problems. But as I'm thinking about the fact that this stuck out to me, in the case, I can't think of other recent romances that I've read that are contemporary or even, you know, not that have really focused on finance. There have been a few. Um, I just finished reading the fourth Bridgerton book, the one with Penelope and Colin. I'm forgetting the title. Uh, and Colin does have this realization at some point that obviously Penelope being who she was, I'm not going to say what, in case you haven't read it, like me, um, has a lot of money, but that never seems to really be the crux of their issue. It's sort of like, oh, okay, cool, but, like, I'm really more upset about this. It has nothing to do with the money. Um, So I did think that what they mentioned about, like, the fact that we don't necessarily see enough of these conversations in romance, especially, I think, when it comes to contemporary. I do think that for romances that are being set in, you know, the 2000s and forward, I mean, if we're talking about characters that are quote-unquote essentially millennials, then I do think it would just sort of be even cooler to see these conversations of, like, how do we afford houses? How do we afford the things that we all assumed we would be able to afford? What do we do with our student debt? What do we do with medical debt, right? Um, I think it's obviously if the contemporary is about a billionaire and his girl or she's a billionaire and her, her guy, well, I mean, then finance is a whole like... Mm, And even then, I still think you can have a conversation about finance because if one person has such an enormous level of wealth in comparison to the other person, what does that do for their relationship, right? Because having that level of wealth, and when I say that, I'm talking about a billion dollars, not multiple billions like um, a turd that is currently trying to run for office, not that level, but like just a billion dollars, just having that much money, whether it's in liquid assets or not, is means that you have a level of power that people who do not have that money do not, you know, do not have. And so I do think that even in those situations, there need, it would, I, I think it would definitely add to the story if that conversation comes up. Um, so I, I, I was just like, oh my God, like I was just, I was just thinking that and that they were talking about it. And then another thing, um, that was talked about in the episode that really, this one then sparked a whole, like, I made myself a little like voice memo. Um, yes, guys, I talked to myself. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Listen, I'm, I'm who I am. And talking to myself sometimes helps me figure things out um and I like to listen to what I've said on my little voice memo and be like oh yeah mm, yes so when they were talking about happily ever after and happily for now Katrina mentioned that she tends to read her books um and assume it's a happily for now because we don't really I mean we can assume it's happily ever after, right? Um, and and they were sort of talking about how happily ever afters tend to be very um, 
Oh, what is the word? I had it on the tip of my tongue and then it uh, floated away. Um, very cis, uh, cisgen, like very heteronormative in that it's there's a wedding and there's a baby and usually that means that you're looking at a heterosexual couple um very you know and obviously before you know we had marriage equality you wouldn't have written a a story with um two Two queer characters, not two queer characters, because if you have two bisexual characters, one who's male and one who's female, uh, they can get married together. But if you have two bisexual characters who are both female before marriage equality, if you'd been like, I don't know they got married, people would have been like, but that's against the law. So what do you mean they got married? Um, so that epilogue or that final chapter or whatever always sort of can, f- not always, that's, I'm, that's too general, but can sometimes feel very much like, oh, they got married and they had a baby, baby and marriage, or you'll see that sometimes it's not even like, it's like nine years down the road and they've been married and they've got four kids, but like this idea that, you know, they're perfectly happy, everything is roses, nothing is wrong and nothing can go wrong because they're together and that did, that did, once you find that person, nothing will ever go wrong, which like we know that in real life that's the what? <laughs> no. Um, and yes, books are, these books are to escape our sort of tragic reality, but sometimes it's like a little too like, oh shoot, uh, too sweet, I, mm, I don't like it, uh, cavity coming, no. So when she mentioned that she, you know, tended to think of endings as happily for now, as opposed to happily ever after, my mind immediately went to uh, soap operas and telenovelas. And you're gonna be like, what? Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, uh, when I say American soap operas, I'm talking about soap operas from the United States. Um, those soap operas had a beginning point, And honestly, depending on the soap opera, either just recently had an end point or are still going. There is, there technically, no one was writing them with an end in mind because there no one was focused on an end and you're gonna be like what does that mean okay guiding light which started out as a radio show that then moved to black and white tv and then to color tv um ends up i think it was like 19 years on radio and 57 years on tv with like a bit of an overlap there so whoever started writing guiding light right was thinking of it in a serial sort of format as in it keeps happening you know an episode every day and so when you're writing for when you're writing love stories of people that are going that we're going to see them get married and then we're going to see everything that comes after they get married then it then does become happy that moment becomes a happily for now um, one of the things I remember, I was a big, big soap opera fan when I was younger. One of the things I always remember, uh, talking about with my friends, no one really wanted to watch like completely, utterly happy couples. That gets boring. You know, you do root for your favorite couples and you are so excited when they get together. And for me, I always wanted their conflict not to be about their actual relationship, but to be something else, like something, you know, something is going wrong in their life. But I never wanted to be like, oh, now he cheated or oh, and now she 
she cheated oh turned out he was a cloner oh turned out she's possessed by the devil like those were never the things i wanted but i understood why the writers went there because if not it'd just be two people smiling all the time and being happy and you're just like oh my god this is boring tv now when I'm talking about telenovelas, uh, I'm specifically talking about the ones from Latin America. Those are the ones I know um, and that I, you know, watched when I was younger. All novellas had the start, a middle, an end. Like, there was an end date. And the end date wasn't, like, seven years down the road. It was, like, eh, a year, maybe a year and a half. I, maybe. I'm sure if I Googled it, there might have been a novella that lasted two years. But, Max, every single one, like, not every single one, but generally it was expected they would end in a wedding right the main couple would be happily married and maybe with kids or a kid on the way or you might do then you fast the the last episode might fast forward into the future six years and you see them with their four kids and life is just hunky-dory and the villain is either dead or like in a prison or like being tortured something terrible right because they also it because these stories weren't going to continue the villain the punishment for the villain wasn't sort of like a slap on the wrist it was it was punishment punishment because the idea was like they died and then it ended not end of story and so when katrina and our andrea were talking about it i was like yeah that to me always sort of stuck to struck me as the main difference um between these two um ways of doing soap operas right because they were the essential storylines that we saw i guess i get to use the vocabulary i've learned the tropes that we saw you would see them in both you know the secret baby girl what the um, listen secret babies on soap operas is like 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 a day ending in why Okay, a day ending in why, and it doesn't matter if it's a telenovela or if it's a you know a soap opera for the United States. It's like yeah, secret baby, yeah, you know, girl who's a clone, guy who's a clone, uh, people you know f- being killed but they aren't dead, faking their death. Like, I mean, people getting married to get access to money. Oh, my favorite was like when they did like a swapping of babies. Ah. Oh. Oh my goodness, like we needed a son, so we threw away our daughter and stole someone else's son. And of course, of course, this tended to happen a lot on Spanish, uh, the Spanish ones. Of course, whenever that happened, of course, this guy is going to meet that girl and they're gonna fall in love. And then, like, later find out, like, oh, the man I thought was my father is actually your father. And so, like, I'm not an heir to a fortune, you're an heiress, and I'm actually like some poor man's kid. What? Like, what it was just like crazy to me like so similar and yet also so different and i think a huge part of the difference was something like guiding light all my children um days of our lives which is on the air today general hospital which is on the air today you know another world oh no not a, there's another world and there's as the world turns sorry guys so sorry when you're writing expecting that this show's going to be on next year the year after the year after that nine years you know and when you have that much history to pull from also because it's not just about writing these stories thinking sort of into the future but you also can you can also 
bring in storylines, bring in characters from nine years ago, 15 years ago, you know, family that disappeared because the writer at the time didn't care about them 20 years ago can pop up out of nowhere 20 years later because you have that wealth of history for the show um that is fascinating and so a part of me thinks in my head I think of uh, books that are sort of a series in that similar concept of like a soap opera it's like we see the same recur like we'll see the you know we know that we'll focus on a couple for their book but that couple might show up in other books, right? We'll get glimpses of them. They might even be like sort of that second burner sort of story. And so soap operas obviously did the same. There'd be sort of your core couples, but they would obviously, based on things like who's pregnant, who needs vacation, this, that, and the other, would rotate. And you would also see all, you would just see so much of everyone's lives sort of as they intertwined because that was the whole point of the soap opera whereas like in a telenovela I, the first one that came to mind was pasión de gavilanes i that one always comes to mind and what i think is really interesting about that like at no point were they like we have three brothers so we're going to do three different like sh- like series like each brother get no all three brothers are going to get their their happily ever after in this one you know novella um i looked it up on google it was 188 episodes right but in those 188 episodes all three of those men are going to meet their women go through whatever problems conflicts they got to get through and get to the end and be happily ever after with kids i don't remember i didn't read i don't even know if i ever watched the ending of pasión de gavilanes um but so that was that's to me is the main difference and that seems more of like the visual representation of happily ever after it's like it ends and that's it and you just aren't and we're not gonna go back it's not like season five and oh so-and-so left his wife for his brother's wife nope it's, it's done they're happy you never see them again. I mean, you would see the actors again in different shows. And that sometimes would throw me off because there were actors who were really popular. So sometimes they'd do three, you know, they'd be three different characters back to back to back. And if you weren't really paying close attention, you're like, wait, no, oh, no, you're you're a good guy in this one. But you're a bad guy in that one. But you're a, a book. And then it's also been interesting. Um, randomly, um, I'll see like, clips of current day telenovelas and some of the men that were like the leading young men when I was like a teenager of course you know in their 50s now or whatever and so of course now they're playing like the fathers or sometimes they're still the love interest but I'm like "Mm -hmm." I know that we've dyed your hair really dark black to make you look young and I'm doing air quotes but like yeah I don't think it's working I think you look old and I think it's kind of creepy um And so I just thought it was so, you're like, what? I thought it was really interesting when Katrina mentioned that that, that's how she reads because it, it, I don't know why, but it immediately made me think of soap operas. And it did make me think like, hmm, hmm, I guess the happily for now does make sense, right? In the sense that like, well, I mean, we can pretend it's happily ever after, but like, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying like how, you know, you are a fool for thinking such a thing. No, no, I don't think that. But I, it was very much like, hmm, 
Now, the reason I brought up soap operas is because I have, I've always had this like odd, I don't know if it's an odd, I've always had this theory in the back of my mind um, about soap operas and the, like, about soap operas, the fact that they were sort of taken, you know, not taken off the air completely because there's still like three left but reduced to such a small amount and what that might mean for where we are today. And you're like, what the fuck, Esther? Okay, so I remember, so when I was in high school, summer would come. Esther spent a lot of time watching daytime TV. I was watching, I was watching, some people were like, they had one or two favorite soap operas. I was watching Guiding Light, you know, uh, As the World Turns, All My Children, Young and the Restless, General Hospital, Passions Me, you know, my people, my passions. Um, I never really watched Port Charles. I think Port Charles went off the air just as I was really getting into soap operas. Um, I also never watched Another World. And I definitely never watched Santa Barbara. I think those were going off the air before I really... Not just before, I think I would have, I was interested, but my mom was kind of like, no, but by the time I got to high school, it was kind of like, I, I'm not out here being a fool. Let me watch my soap opera. Jeez, jeez, I'm in the house. Like, what's the problem? Um, and so of course she was like, you know, no problem. Um, and so when I, I remember, I mean, I was sad when Passions was canceled, but it was in, but when it was like the conversation of like getting rid of so many, all my children, Guiding Light. And as the world turns, it's sort of in one, you know, one after the other. I remember being really upset about it. And I think now that I'm talking about it, I think it's because around that time there was a huge sort of uh, writer's strike in Hollywood. And so I guess the networks were like, well, we don't want to pay writers, so we'll just get rid of their shows. And I remember being at the time really upset that the sh- that these scripted shows that employed so many people were being replaced with game shows um game shows or talk shows and it was like I remember I don't think the chew is still on if it is well whatever but I remember being livid and I mean livid that I think it took over all my children's time slot and I was like so we're losing all my children to have the chew I was like if y'all don't get out of here with your dumb shit I was like when I say livid I mean livid if I had had if we had had social media the way we have it now then listen I would have been all all you would have seen on my twitter would have been a save all my children and b fuck the chew to hell and back because I was just like we have a show that can give people visual representations of stories um that they may never encounter in their everyday life and you're gonna replace that with people talking about how to make food like we don't have what what so I remember being really 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 irate and just not understanding I mean I got that it was like a money thing but I just was like but it seems so ridiculous to replace all of this with either talk shows where everyone just sort of talks about dumb shit or game shows where people are just trying to win money. Now, 2016 happened, uh, 20, you know, time, you know, election came and things were crazy. And 
And you might, as you're listening to this, be like, bitch, you're insane. And maybe I am. And maybe I am. But this has always sort of sort of percolated in the back of my mind. Now, what's percolated in the back of my mind is this. Not that soap operas were, you know, these wonderful paragons of virtue with absolutely no issues. No, most definitely they had issues. I mean, Bold and Beautiful is set in Los Angeles. And I <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even think like they barely ever, ever had any Latino representation in Los Angeles. Like the maid was like, what? Get out of here. Where were the where were the Spanish people? Right. Um general hospital which is supposed to be right outside of new york city almost never had one black person one black family like the the representation of people from other backgrounds was kind of poor and i do think that soap operas sort of went into not went tried to diversify sort of like their cast and their storylines almost a little too late some people have been like, no, actually, they were around on time. I don't know. But I do remember being like, come on, guys. But I also always thought, like, I mean, I believe it's All My Children who has the first sort of storyline on daytime television. And it might have been, in general, for US TV about abortion. All right. Um, and you're going, well, what's the point of that? If you, for example, if you live in a town, if you live somewhere, if you don't live in a major city, right? Or even if you live in a major city, if you are exposed to people who look different from you, talk different from you, act different from you, um, have different sexualities or have different sexual orientations, have different life experiences, it is very easy to sort of other them, be fearful, all of that. A soap opera storyline, I'm not saying it's perfect, but it can humanize an idea and a concept um, in a way that is a lot harder when you're just sort of reading a story uh, on newspaper, in this case, online. Um, I remember thinking after, you know, that we went from people who were at home during the day watching stories. Yes, some of them were crazy. I mean... Marlena on Days of Our Lives was possessed by the devil, right? So, like, okay, what? And the amount of times that they use cloning as a storyline on that show, come on. But I also think that having stories about immigration, about trans people, Bold and Beautiful had a trans storyline, and I want to say it was 2010, 2009. It was because I was still watching, and I pretty much stopped watching once I moved because I didn't have access to TV so it got really hard to watch um or I might have still been watching a little bit um and no the actress was not um a trans woman right but the idea that they went there um and this trans woman like falls in love and Rick was like I'm still in love with you I did you know I'm I'm not worried about your past kind of thing. Those kinds of things to me, I feel like that humanize people you might never encounter in your everyday life in a way that can be harder when you're just sort of hearing about it in a, you know, on the news. So then we have all of that taken away and it's replaced by game shows, right? Um, it's replaced by talk shows. Now, 
what are you learning, if anything, in a game show? Like, what are you being exposed to storylines that might make you sympathetic to people other than you? No, you're watching people do everything they can to get what they need for themselves. Because it isn't even about, like, I'm on this game show to win for my community. It's like, I'm on this game show to win for me, right? So all of a sudden game show the focus is on on individual game right it isn't about anything else but the one individual that is lucky enough to win so it's not even about hard work of any kind is the literal chance right literal literal chance and then you got talk shows all sort of potentially regurgitating the same information um because again these talk shows don't necessarily have you know, the gamut of people to represent. Yes, we've got, like, you know, people of color and white people, but socioeconomically, they're probably in the same group, right? They, you know, you're going to have, I mean, The View is a great example, right? You've got some people who are more conservative, and you've got people who are liberal, You, I mean, question mark there, and you've got sort of centrist, moderate people, but, like, like, at an economic level, uh, they're all the same. I mean, no no one on that, no one, no one is like, well, I'm kind of a poor, like, no, you're not. None of you are poor. I mean, some of you might be poorer than others, but you're not poor. And so the way you see the world, you know, at least from the economic standpoint, that's not gonna be that different. Um, and you're like, no, Esther, it's very different. Not really. So I, I've always then thought, like, okay, you sort of start to see the cutting of these soap operas in the late 2000, before we hit the 2010 kind of mark. Um, And then, you know, time goes on, and then we've got, and I'm not saying, guys, because we got rid of soap operas, that's why people decided to only vote in their best interest. Of course not. But do I think it helped? I kind of do. I really, I really do. And I think it's because the way stories in general fiction, whether it is a romance novel, where it is some literary, you know, fancy pantsy thing, whether it is, these are the ways that we are able to impart information impart lessons and impart at begin conversations that might be difficult um and i just think that removing that from a pretty large chunk of the day and then filling it with literally nothing because what is a game show but nothing did a complete disservice um did a complete disservice um to the population at large um and i just at to this day i'm just like having soap operas uh daytime drama essentially i've always thought is beneficial i mean there are people who gotta work in okay so i did it again where the screen was like dark and then when i went to like bring it back to life um unfortunately i cut myself off but as i was saying i just have always felt like removing or sort of limiting soap operas in favor of game shows and talk shows 
does not sort of benefit society and you might be like Esther that's crazy but it's how I feel so you know uh you cannot say nothing because it is my opinion no that's not true you can say something I mean I'm just saying it's my opinion that I think soap operas filled a vital role in exposing people to characters who were so different from them and by doing so those people were able to feel a level of empathy with those characters that when faced with meaning people like those characters in real life their reaction could be different had than if they had never ever been exposed to anyone like that before again i'm not seeing soap operas are the thing that will you know bring kumbaya and utopia to the world of course not but i do think the lack of them is keenly felt um okay so the other thing i wanted to talk to you guys today about because like i just you know love talking to you guys and i love talking in general um so e when i'm recording this obviously is you know not the day you hear it because how would that work uh, that would be impossible uh, or might not be impossible for others but it would be impossible for me um so we're on wednesday we i am recording on wednesday you guys are going to hear this on monday but the conversation I want to talk about that happened on Twitter happened two days ago, which would make it Monday. So that would be February 24th. Um, so Monday, February 24th, uh, Weekend Reader, um, her, handle on Inst- her handle on Twitter is at Weekend Reader underscore, um, posed a question. Her question was, I have a serious question. Why does romance in brackets reading genre gets so much slack but in tv movies or social media people are all in i mean my timeline on twitter and fb facebook is nothing but love is blind posts and tinder makes a living off of people swiping what's the disconnect and as soon as i saw the question i was like oh i like your question i also have thoughts and so i responded my very first response was a part of me thinks so this is me responding to weekend reader a part of me thinks that it has to do with the pervasive idea that romance is a trashy writing that anyone can write b that it's specifically for women and within that for women who are sad lonely bitter and need heas happily ever afters in a book because they can't find it can't find one in real life um and i want to talk about um how romance is seen exclusively as um for women and people like to shit on women's interests um and just there's because her question is really valid right People are out here, the same people who might be like, oh my god, I ship these two characters in Star Wars, or these two characters in Sleepy Hollow, or these two characters on Saved by the Bell, or those two characters over there on whichever iteration of Sabrina the Teenage Witch you were interested in. Those same people might turn around and be like, ugh, romance novels are gross romance novels are trashy romance novels are for like losers like it's nasty and you're looking at them like weren't you just on the internet talking about how much chemistry you saw between actor a and actor b and 
the scene from TV show C. Like, am I, am I, am I living in the upside down? Right? Like, we are, in generally speaking, uh, people are out here actively searching for love, L-O-V-E, right? So why is it that books about characters actively searching for love are seen as garbage, as things that anybody can do, as trash, but everything else within, like, but if you were talking about a TV show, a movie, um, music, uh, literal dating apps, oh, that's fine. What? Like, it's a valid question. What, what is it about romance novels that has people willing to say things that they would never say about other mediums that also show us romantic love hmm? um and so of course my gut my gut has always been my gut feeling has always been um romance is seen as being for women and people hate women and so therefore oh this is for women must be garbage oh, women like this must be garbage and you're going okay Esther but like I know other girls or other women or other feminine presenting individuals who feel this way yeah see but here's the thing right if you can shit on this group of women romance readers you can maybe look cool to that like artsy fartsy individual who shit also shits on you know romance readers and then you too can feel better about yourself because you are like those girls who read romance, who read, you know, porn for mommies. I'm sorry, what? I mean, as a, I am 36. I am at a point in my life where <laughs> my fields of fucks have been barren forever. I don't care. I love romance. I love everything to do with the genre. I mean, there is so much work to be done. And there are some authors who are creating brilliant books. And then there are some authors that I'm like, if I could gouge your eyeballs out so you could not see, so you could not write. Unfortunately, I'm that kind of a bitch that I would. I'm that kind of a bitch that I would. I won't because, you know, (laughs) laws and bad karma. And I don't need that. But... I do remember that there was a time when I felt embarrassed about being a reader. It didn't make me give up the genre, but I didn't really want people to know. And it was because of people's response to seeing me read the genre, right? Before we get digital devices, before we get Kindles, before we can read on our phones, before we can read on laptops and tablets and all those things, you had to read a book. You had to read a physical book. (laughs) I know those days, they are so far away. I'm kidding. And when you had to read a physical book, people could see the cover, especially if it was a mass market paperback. And mass market paperback romances have covers that were very, very, very obviously romances, right? Like, uh, we call them clinch covers now. Um, a man who is half Nate, uh, my favorite, I think someone recently, um, it could have been a few months ago, had pointed out that on uh, it was a historical. The guy has a shirt that's tucked in but completely unbuttoned. So you can see his entire chest. But he's wearing the shirt. 
tucked into his pants and it's like wouldn't it have just been easier to be shirtless my boot like what so you've got covers where you've got like shirt barely almost shirtless man grasping onto uh, a, a woman with big bosoms and if you're like i don't know what bosoms are boobs bitch boobs okay big titties um interestingly enough at least in traditional publishing uh Big booties is not really the focus. And I wonder when we will start to see, or if we will start to see big booties on covers, or if that will never be seen, because then it's like, oh no, that's like making it look like porn, and we're not trying to do that. So like, don't go there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's only the beginning of 2020. It's only February. God only knows what the next 10, 15, 20 years are going to break. Assuming we all don't, you know, die. So you're like, oh my God, Esther, I'm so scared. Um, So no, it's uh, people. And when I say people, I mean, adults, uh, other readers have always sort of been like, oh, romance, gross, disgusting. And I've always sort of been like, so why are you so upset or so like, why do you have such strong feelings over a genre you don't even like really breed? And so in the same Twitter thread, um, another someone, this is the joy of Twitter, right? Other people can chime in and add their responses and like give you different insights. And I personally love that. If you're like, oh, I would hate that. Then yeah, Twitter ain't for you, weirdo. Um, but I love it. So I'm just like, yes, yes, give me, give me the info. So uh, Adele Buck forward slash Buchanan, who's uh Twitter handler is just uh, at underscore Adele Buck. She links an article um, called How Harlequin Became the Fo- Most Famous Name in Romance um, that was written by Kelly Fairclaw. And then she had her, tw- her additional tweet after linking the article was, Kelly Faircloth has done more than one really intense deep dive on the history of romance publishing. I may have gotten fangirl all over her in a corridor as we recharged our phones at a Romance Writers of America conference a few years back. I then went on to read the article and I was like, oh my god, I would have done the very same thing if I had met her in person because I it's, I think it's a phenomenal, the phenomenal, the phenomenal article. Wow, I almost said phenomenal. Mm, mm, making up words, huh? I'm going to link it in the show notes um, because it is so well done. It is so... I, t- listen, it's it's got my mind spinning. Um, and I highlighted some quotes. And w- so one of them was, People who haven't cracked a book open in years, years is in italics as in emphasized, feel fully qualified to sneer at Harlequins. And that has always pissed me off. You don't even read books. You don't even read books. Books, you're out here being like, I haven't read a book since 1997, but you're trying to give me shade about reading romance, about reading Harlequin. If you don't take your sad little behind out of my face, so what empowers people who don't even read to shit on romance novels now? A part of me thinks, I mean, everyone shuts on romance, right? There was, I'm not going to link them because, and I'm not going to say who they are because God no, but there was a, a library, a public library that has an event called Bad Romance 
where people get to read from bad romance because oh it's so funny to make fun of romance because <laughs> excuse me first of all you're a library uh why are you ha- like unless you're doing a bad x night you know bad genre night of for every genre then what are you doing why are you out here perpetuating the stereotype that only in romance is the writing bad when we've got examples of bad writing everywhere including in all the fancy literature that makes nobody any money because it's terrible it becomes a classic well after the motherfucker is dead and everyone's like oh my god this is a classic why is it a classic bitch can you tell me why can you explain to me why because it was written by dead white man why see now i'm yelling now i'm yelling because i'm mad because how dare you how dare you you will go home and you will ship a couple on fucking gray's anatomy you will fucking watch love is blind you will watch you know all of these like rom-coms and whatever but romance novels are gross and bad and poorly written and trash but you don't even read but you don't even read boo boo what 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 like okay oh my and so the more i thought about weekend readers question the more i was like yeah i mean part of it feels like patriarchy misogyny internalized misogyny because you're like but women do it too and i'm like yes yes but we all have to sort of you know understand that we live in a society in a structured like we live within the patriarchal structure where we are rewarded when we shit on uh, those things that would probably benefit us kind of thing. Um, but again, it brings up the question, okay, but why romance novels and not rom-coms? Like, no one's out here being like, rom-coms are garbage and every rom-com ever is trash and don't, if you watch rom-coms, you wouldn't, what? Like, what? No, I mean, they might not be up there with like Martin Scorsese's, you know, is, is he the one that did the Irishman for like four and a half thousand years? Whatever. You know, but no one's like the vitriol surrounding a uh, romance doesn't seem romance novels again doesn't seem to come up when we speak about romance in other mediums. And a part of me, again, this is my gut, feels that it's like because romance is seen as being written by women for women, only women, which I think is also fascinating, right? That publishing which clearly has men right like like when you when you really look at executive at the executive level in publishing it's not oh a sea of women and one lonely man it is predominantly male heavy and yet even with that in just the romance genre there's this belief that oh it's women writing for women and all of them are sad, lonely women who will never amount to anything, who aren't even educated. So, of course we can punch down. Of course, let's all punch down. It's fine. And so, I I wonder, A, how can we change that? Uh, other than, I mean, part of it is, I think, always talking about romance, always sort of talking it up, um 
I mean, I've had friends who've been like, hey, like, I don't really like you talk about romance a lot. I don't really get it. Um, And then I've sort of been started to break down like, like I was explaining to a friend, you know, Nalini Singh's side changeling. And she was kind of like, wait, this is a romance? I was like, yeah. She's like, yeah, but this sounds like, like a fantasy or I was like, well, it's a paranormal romance. So yeah, it's not a contemporary. It's not, you know, Becky and, you know, John um, falling in love over, you know, I don't know, prescription at the pharmacy in a small town in Montana. Um, I came up with that on the spot, Joan will say. Um, But it's still romance. And she was like, oh, but that sounds kind of cool. And I was like, well, yeah. And again, I think it's this idea that romance is really formulaic as if the rest of genre fiction is not. (sighs) That it is... I had a coworker (laughs) be like, romance is trash. And I was like... (laughs) Oh, whoa wow okay it's not all trash he's like no it's all trash I was like, mm. and he's like i could write it and i was looking at this man like nah nah you couldn't no fool but in his mind romance is literally some basic ass formula that just anybody can write anybody can do it and i wanted to be like um i mean you what no i'm so sorry you you know i mean you can try but no and so I've still been thinking about her question and about what it is specifically about this genre that makes people so mad my next thought is this genre makes money in a way I think it makes sorry not I think it makes money it makes money and I wonder if a part of that of the response is sort of that backlash the fact that like I've stood here and said to your face that this genre is garbage and yet it is out there making money with capital M okay big big dollar signs okay so we've got people who see romance as garbage and yet for example and I'm you know I'm being really really general here okay so don't be all like Esther I am this person and how dare you no I'm being hella general how must it feel if you're writing you know I don't know some literary whatever wonder that will one day be a classic um and you sold whole grand total of you know I don't know 10,000 books I don't know if that's a normal number or not and then some romance writer who you think is talented who you think wrote formula formulaic nonsense who you just are like is out here you know selling 50,000 books a a month I mean hmm I mean everyone told you that romance is trash right which is why you didn't even think of it consider it for yourself because you are an intellectual you are smart but you're not making money right but you're so poor right and again, this this isn't to, for all of you to be like, Esther, romance authors aren't all here rolling in the dough. We aren't all rich. I get, but I'm just saying, like, are people mad because they're like, this thing that I consider, that, not I, that society deems as worthless, technically isn't, like, te- I mean, if we're, if we go technical, it's not, it's not worthless. So is it a combination of like, oh, it's for women, bash it. Oh, it centers women. Bash it. Oh, it centers women's pleasure. <gasps> the horror. Women. P- 
pleasure. I mean, aren't you supposed to lie there and think of a queen? Like, what do you mean? But then it's weird because we live in a society that's like, sex, 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 sex. Fuck, 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 fuck. But like, from a different point of view, like it, it boggles the mind. It really does boggle the mind. And it, I do wonder like how we will get to a point, or maybe it's just this amalgamation of, of things that end with people just not liking the genre i think i was talking to my brother and i was like yeah like i think i mentioned and a romance has always has to have a happily ever after and he was like what well if you know the ending what's the point and i was like what no you don't know there's a happily ever after you have no idea a what that happily ever after looks like unless you've read everything that author has ever written and you can kind of predict it but that's a whole other story b you don't know how they get there. You don't know how these characters get from point A to point, you know, Z. You don't know. The journey literally is what we're reading. How do how does this author take these two people, put them in the situations that they put them in, and still get them to a place where they commit to each other, where they open up to each other, where they admit their you know deepest darkest vulnerabilities to each other we have no idea and every author does it differently you know what I mean and so for me yes romance novels are a genre and and have a certain structure but within that structure there is so much to be done i mean for those of you who are big romance readers you're gonna be like "Mm, yes we know this for those of you who aren't big romance readers i mean romance is like big umbrella term for so many subgenres so it's, it's it's so many right you can have contemporaries you can have paranormals you can have fantasy you can have suspense you can have eh, thrillers you mysteries eh. i just so many things so many things you can have characters that everyone's a virgin you can have characters where no one's a virgin you can have people fall in love with one person, with two people, with three people, with four. <laughs> I mean, there are just infinite ways to put down on paper the way your characters are going to end up where we expect them to end up as readers. And that to me has always been absolutely fascinating. That I have no idea before I crack open the book how they're going to get to where they get to. I don't know. Because the whole point of this is the journey. And I mean, maybe it's a metaphor for life, guys, right? Like, stop focusing on the end, which, <laughs> in case you weren't sure, is death. Um, focus on the journey. Live every day, you know, because it's, it's a journey. It's a marathon. You know, the marathon continues. And so, I really, really 
I would love if you guys would respond with um, your ideas and your thoughts on why you think people might hate romance. Um, And when I say romance, I mean romance novels, right? Because if you're out here watching The Bachelor and rooting for whoever he is or The Bachelorette and rooting for her and hoping that they get married and hope... But then when talk, someone talks to you about a romance novel, you're like, mm, yeah, okay, whatever. That's gross. Roll my eyes. What's the issue? Like, what's the disconnect here, right? Like, we are all literally searching for human connection, you know, relationships, love, both, you know, platonic and romantic love. So then why is a genre that focuses on that and highlights romantic and platonic love all over the place? Why is that treated like less than? Why is that treated like garbage? Why are its readers, its writers treated as, you know, ignoramuses? You know, I was meant the same coworker that was like, romance is trash. I was like, um, you got law- former lawyers writing, you know, like you, you've got people who like have PhDs and whatnot writing romance. And he was kind of like, mm. and I wanted to be like, sir, like, what do you have? An associate's if you don't, and, you know, that was me being mean. Um, I can't be mean. I can be <laughs> downright cruel when pushed to it. Eh? Uh, but I was just kind of like, dude, come on. Like, you've never read the genre. You know nothing about it, but you're, you're going to stand there. And be all like, <laughs> it's trash. And when I'm like, mm, but is it though? You're going to be like, yeah. And I'm going to be like, how do you know? And you're like, I just do. No, you're literally just regurgitating the same shit that other people say when you know absolutely nothing about said genre. But I don't think that you would do that if we were talking about something else. If we were talking about something else, you'd be like, yo, I don't actually know, right? I'm not actually aware. So... It uh, it just it sparked a lot of questions. Um, in the article that Kelly Faircloth wrote, she mentioned two books that I plan to read and will probably talk about in future podcasts. Um, they are old enough uh, that they are not just like available wherever. Uh, they're only uh, in New York. They're available at um the big reference library which is like the fancy library with the two lines and if you're like i'm not sure you know if you ever watched the sex in the city movie i think the first one where carrie was supposed to get married to big but big didn't like big try to run away whatever that library so it's the big big library with two lines that's where the two books that she mentions um in the article are um located and you can only read them in the library you cannot take them out Although I think the one, the Mills and Boone one, I can read online. I just have to like log in with my library credentials. So I think that one I might just try to read when I'm like, have Wi-Fi access. But the, the one about Harlequin, um, no, I gotta be in the library. Um, and it's a hardcover. Oh, and it's weird because it was, it's a Raincoast book. And like, I'm like, I wonder if I reached out to Raincoast today, if I could be like, is there any way you guys like have a copy of this? somewhere and like how much would that cost me i'm tempted i might not do it but i'm tempted um but yeah the so i'm gonna link the kelly faircloth article i it's i think it just provides so much 
awesome like historical information about Harlequin. Um, to this day, I'm really sort of annoyed with myself that I didn't realize that Harlequin was like Canadian in Toronto, the city I grew up in until I'd already moved to New York. I was like, so I could have, I could have, I could have tried to get the fuck. Yo, I'm still, I'm still tight that I just didn't know. Um, like Torstar, which owns like Toronto Star, owned it for years and then they sold it to HarperCollins. So technically it now belongs to HarperCollins or whatever, but it's still like, it, it, uh, oh, that's what I need to do next. I mean, if, if you're listening and you're from Toronto and you're really into romance, you should find out if they like, you know, have, uh, have, they must have author events like in their office or near their office and you should definitely go because the, what? I'm sure that you might get book swag, guys. And book swag could be cool things like magnets and mirrors and pins. But it also can be free books. Um, but yeah, I'm still very much like, girl, how did you not? Ugh, stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. But I'm going to forgive myself for not annoying. And I'm going to be okay. Um, but yeah, I'm... I'm definitely now even more curious about history of romance history of harlequin right because the little i've read like literally the first like nine pages of the harlequin book it's called the masters of venus and already it's talking about the fact that the harlequin was like we're gonna sell these books where women can get them right and when you're, you're talking about the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, a lot of women aren't working. Um, and all women are doing grocery shopping. So selling it at the supermarket is kind of like, well, duh. And I'm just like, yo, the, the thought process there. The thought process of like, women go to supermarkets, that's where we're going to put them. Then they don't have to. Then there isn't this question of like, oh, I had no idea because I would have had to drive out of my way. Girl, you were... Right there in that checkout line, and there, and there, was the books. Oh, and I, sorry, I'm gonna read you guys a quote from the book, um, the Masters of Venus. That again has me thinking: How did we get to this point where everyone assumes that romance is literally only female? Um, in the book, it says aggressive American trained marketing driven male executives emphasis is my own further refined these revolutionary ideas and virtually reinvented book publishing domestically and throughout the world by peddling romance novels like boxes of soap flakes in the very places where women shop this is what i'm i'm having this question the harlequin these companies were had men at you know being like okay this is what we're gonna do and yet when people think of romance they never think of dudes they always think oh women women so what what happened there right i don't know what happened there and i want to find out um and if when i if i find out when i find out i'm definitely gonna tell y'all y'all gonna be like oh Again, and I'm going to be like, see sí, friends, see, sí, otra vez, de nuevo, les voy a decir. Because, like, this, to me, it, 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 
this is vital. This is important. Um, so Weekend Reader, thank you so much for asking this question because it's just, it's got my mind, it's got my mind thinking. It's got me like really, really, really excited to like just delve into history of, you know, romance. If you are listening and you have really cool or really cool, if you know of books that I should be reading that talk about the history of romance, please, please let me know. Uh, in the show notes, again, there'll be my Twitter, my Instagram. You can tweet me. You can slide into my DMs. I mean, come on, slide into my DMs. I mean, it's going to be platonic, guys, you know, but it'll be fun. It'll be a party. A party, party. Um, but yeah, um, definitely, if you have books or articles that you think I should read, please send them my way. If you have questions or comments about this very topic, please, please, I beg of you, reach out. Um, I would love to hear them uh, because I feel like this is going to come up again, right? I feel like it's going to come up again and I want to keep talking about it. I want to understand like why we are where we are, right? So anyway, um, thank you guys so much for listening, uh, for putting up with, you know, my interesting speaking style, um, for being able to, you know, put up with me for this long. 10 weeks, guys, 10 weeks. Oh my God. If we were a baby, we'd be out of the first trimester or about to be out of the first trimester. I don't fucking know. I, I ain't got kids, so I don't know. But yeah, thank you so much. Um, next week, for sure, it's going to be Blaze of Memory. Um, I cry every time I read that book. I'm going to try to figure out why I cry every time I read that book. But like, eh, I'm pretty sure I've read it at least eight or nine times. And uh, and I know how it ends, obviously. And yet I still uh, sub and sub and sub some more like... I'm a cartoon character and my face is literally drowning in tears. Um, so in case you're like, I haven't read it, but I plan to. Have tissue ready. Uh, preferably, don't read it in public. I've made that mistake. Knowing what is coming, I've made that mistake. And then I'm sitting on a train and people looking at me like, is this bitch sobbing? Like, is she... Should we ask it? She must be fine. That's the beauty of New York City. You can sob like a little bitch on the train. Hey, nobody gonna bother you. Unless you start to get like loud and it starts to look like you might be like, you know, in some sort of literal physical distress. People just let you cry. It's, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, But yeah, Blaze of Memory is gonna... It's, it's gonna do some things, guys. It's gonna do some things. So yes, that'll be next week's book. Uh, please tune in. Um, you're like, oh, what should we read? Oh, what should you guys read? Um, Rebecca Witherspoon's cowboy book just came out. Mm, that would be last week. Technically, it's this week, but you guys are going to be hearing this on Monday. So it'll be, yes, A Cowboy to Remember just came out. Cowboys, guys. Black Cowboys. Oh, and Amnesia. <laughs> just a little bit of animation oh uh cherish uh cherish reads um hearts on hold it has a greenhouse scene that bitch i was like 
I shouldn't be reading this on the train. If anyone can read over my shoulder, they're going to be like, damn, ma'am, what are you reading? I'm going to be like, <laughs> mind your business. Um, and what else? I mean, you know, check out my blog. I've d- done reviews of a bunch of books. Um, and every single one, okay, not every single one. There is one that I'm like, mm, it's going to be a no, but the rest are great. And <laughs> you're going to be like, bitch, which one's a no? You can read the reviews and you can find out, okay? I'm not saying it because that's just mean. It's no bueno. I'm a good person. Um, all right. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to leave you now. Um, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.